You're listening to The Bounding Box, where we talk about web development, geo development, and everything in between. All right, welcome to The Bounding Box. All right, so today I got a great guest here. I got Josh Peterson. Josh, please tell us who you are, what you do, what's your problem? Yeah, hey, Renee. Uh, yeah, first, thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Josh Peterson. I'm a development lead in Esri's Professional Services Division. Um, my problem. I guess my most like pressing problem is probably how to dispose of a lot of concrete in an environmentally safe way. <laughs> um, you doing some, I'm doing uh, a bunch of work. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing a bunch of renovations in my house right now, and this weekend's going to be all demoing a big concrete floor. And I'm not exactly sure how to get it out of the house and, oh, wow, and somewhere man. else quite yet. So I'll be figuring that out. Um, but I guess like at work, maybe it's more what you're talking about. So <laughs> um, at work, my my problems really depend on on what problems my team or our customers are facing on any given day, uh, which is challenging, I guess. I don't even know what my problems are when I start my day typically. <laughs> That's um, all, it's always fun, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I know you have some experience kind of in a more services-oriented role, but I've, I found over my kind of career at Esri that a lot of people don't even know that we have a professional services division. Um, yeah. And it kind of means something different as a developer, right? Um, I, I think the easiest way to describe what it is is that it's the consulting arm of Esri. So like we're out there working with customers on projects, implementing um, you know, solutions and all that kind of stuff. Um, one uh, Another way to kind of think about it is uh, Esri is a obviously a software products company. We build products like ArcGIS Online and ArcGIS Dashboards and the ArcGIS JavaScript SDK. Um, but we're also a services company. Um, you can think of things like tech support or our education services division where we have, um, you know, educators going out and training people and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then professional services is part of that group too, where the product really is the people, right? It's, yeah. it's us as developers or technical consultants or system engineers or whatever it is, um, just kind of going out and being the product and solving problems for our customers. So I guess basically whenever a, a customer either doesn't have the in-house um, availability or something like that to build something up, or maybe it's a, a complex project, uh, somewhere it's like that then they come to the Esri's prof professional services and ask hey you know can, can you help us out here we, we either need to implement one of your um like you know cot solutions or we need something custom that we just don't have the time to do on our own type of thing right so you work pretty closely with these customers to get that stuff done yeah totally yeah we have to go through the whole you know what is the problem you're trying to solve and Let's gather up the requirements of how we're going to actually solve it and work together. Um, a lot of times our customers don't necessarily know uh, sort of what uh, what pieces of the ArcGIS system to bring together in order to solve the, the problem. And so that's a big part of our job. Um, as a developer in professional services, I'm kind of in this really fun place where, you know, Esri's, you know, Arc, the ArcGIS sort of COTS platform is amazing and does amazing things, but um, when, a customer needs something very specific or, or niche or, or cutting edge, we really get to live in that like cutting edge space where we're out there pushing the platform forward. And a lot of times the stuff we do in professional services, uh, uh, you know, makes its way back into products because we go out there and kind of prove uh, the next best thing. That's really cool. Cause I, I do get a lot of uh, questions that come through me from either yourself or other people, professional services on like, Hey, no, I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z in uh, the JavaScript uh, Maps SDK, and I'm not sure how to do it, or this doesn't seem to work. So yeah, there's a lot of, you guys are really pushing a lot of the things that we can do. Like, 
you know, I need to serve, I need to show a million features on the map. Well, how do I do it? Well, crap. Yeah. All right, let's see what we can figure out to make that work, right? Yeah, we have a, a fun relationship with product teams uh, because we're we're always out there breaking things and always out there pushing the limits and things like that. So um, it's great. It's a it's a great relationship. What's one of the uh, with that, I guess you can't really get into too much detail, but what's one of the hardest things you've had to uh, solve uh, working in professional services, like a, a problem that's come up that maybe made it into a product, right? Maybe, maybe it was a something that you guys kind of proved work and then made it back into online or something like that. That's a really good question. Yeah, I think the maybe the, the easiest answer there, I'll take, take the easy way out here, is is now a formal product called ArcGIS Monitor. So like uh. ArcGIS Monitor was a PS product project uh, many years ago, right? And uh, you know, customers wanted better insight into their ArcGIS Enterprise deployment, how mm -hmm. people are using it and which services are being performant or not performant and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we we solved that problem for them. We probably uh, maybe I don't know if we broke license agreements by like cracking open the, the hood of ArcGIS <laughs> server and things like that maybe, yeah. but um, we went out and solved the problem. And then other customers were like, hey, that's really cool. We want, we want that too. And eventually there's enough momentum there. Yeah. Um, you know, and a, a number of products have, have grown up that way. A lot of our sort of like uh, industry focused things like ArcGIS for maritime and aviation and defense and those kinds of products, um, pretty much all were born that way. So uh, nice. there's a pretty good pattern for it. Yeah, that's another uh, group does some cool stuff too. Is the solutions group because they uh, at one point they gave me like a, a deck of cards, like playing cards that have all the apps they've worked on. It was like a massive, like three hundred card deck. I remember those cards. Man, that's insane! Yeah, I didn't realize that they had like made that many various apps for people out there, right? And that they're not just for one customer, but like solutions that can be used by multiple people and stuff. It's pretty nuts. Yeah. It's it's pretty amazing. I mean, the, the magic of ArcGIS is that it's so generic in a way, right? It, it can solve the world's GIS problems or geospatial problems. Yeah. But that's also, it makes it a little hard to wield sometimes because, uh, you know, some uh, someone working at a city government looking to inspect trees has this like mountain of software ready for them to use, but they just want to do this really small thing. And so the, the solutions team is amazing. And in building those kind of tailor-made solutions that are different configurations of our of our larger software stack. Yeah, and I guess a lot of times sure. you have to work with work with a lot of um, third-party uh, clients or third-party <laughs> APIs to kind of integrate stuff in, right? Uh, I mean, have you ever had to tackle like getting GraphQL stuff to work? Um, oh yeah, with mapping stuff and everything. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, like kind of going back to being a developer in PS. I think one of one of the most challenging things is the sort of the cadence of work, right? right? Like we're working with pro with customers on projects on a much shorter timeline than if you were working on a product per se, per mm -hmm. se, right? So, and we often are working with multiple customers at one time. So plenty of times throughout the years, I've been working with maybe five different customers. One of them I'm writing React, one of them I'm writing vanilla JavaScript or Dojo or something because <laughs> they're a little old school in Web App Builder maybe. One of them is all Python, right? It's not even a web development project. Um, and the other one, they're like pushing the limits with uh, GraphQL and Supabase, and they want to do all these cool integrations with uh, <laughs> WordPress or something like that, right? Um, and so I kind of love it. I, I don't think it's for everyone because it's very fast paced and your context switching all the time. But it's, for me, it, I felt that it's allowed me to really like accelerate my learning throughout my career. Yeah. Because I'm maybe not getting the depth of, of working in React and Redux for six years straight, 
all the time, but I'm learning enough and then kind of moving on to the next project and learning something else. And every project I get to kind of collect up the skills that I learned on the last project and bring them along with me, but I get a blank slate. So I don't have to like, I don't always have to live with all of the decisions I've made on past yeah. projects, you know, uh, like you do on a product sometimes. <laughs> That's fun though. I, I gotta admit, I kind of miss work doing stuff like that when I used to do consulting work and stuff, you know, going from one project to another and you jumping from framework to framework and environment to environment and stuff. It, it's stressful and it's a, no, there's a lot to it, but it's a lot of fun. It really is. It is. <laughs> it is. And, and there's the people aspect of it too. You know, like um, I've worked at Esri for 12 years now, but I, I kind of feel like I've worked for like 20 or 30 different companies in those 20, in those, in those 12 years, yeah. because, you know, it's not just the different tech on all the projects. It's also different people from different parts of the world, solving different problems, bringing different perspectives. Um, it's, it's, yeah, that's probably my favorite part of the, of the job of being like a developer in services. And then on the product end, I mean, we, there's a lot of feedback that comes through from groups like professional services because, uh, like I said, we we uh, we do a ton of testing and stuff on like the JavaScript uh, SDK and everything, and we do all this other bits and we have sanity tests. But until it's in like the hand of like people using it, you don't really know what might break and what might not until they integrate it into like their own workflows and stuff. So the, all that feedback comes back from uh, teams like yours is great because they just help us make everything else better. Yeah, no, and it's it's like one of the most rewarding things to to be that developer in PS and then provide that feedback to products and then see you know the next release come out with a fix for that or a new feature that accounts for what you were prototyping or whatever it is. Yeah. Um. So we we feel like you know it, it kind of makes us feel like an extension of the product team uh, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> what are some uh, trends you've seen in development over the years? Right, working on all these different projects and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think like everything in, in the world of software development like comes in cycles, it's, even trends, right? It's all like cyclical, um, like everything that's old is new again at some point in time. When I started, um, the JavaScript API was in version two. It was kind of like a fun thing, but not really the thing we used to build uh, like, you know, rich internet applications as we used to call them, RIAs. So I was I was all all flex all day every day when I started at Esri and like MVC was king right or MVVM yep. if you were working in Silverlight at the time, you know. And then when JavaScript started, you know, taking over the world, um, JavaScript. <laughs> I love JavaScript. I'm like my core identity is a full stack JavaScript developer. But when you when you think about it, like sometimes I think about languages like C Sharp or Java or Swift, they're kind of like an erector set, right? There's like set pieces and like holes for screws to go into and like you can do lots of things with them but there are some rules to how you work with it javascript is like play-doh right like you can do anything you want with it if you want to implement uh functional programming or reactive programming or build state machines or follow object-oriented patterns like totally you can do all that kind of stuff right um i remember when uh, i think it was crocker came and spoke at dev summit a number of years ago and talked about how much he hated the fact that they added classes to JavaScript. Yeah, I remember <laughs> right? that. <laughs> and, like, th there was the whole thing where like, oh, we can do object-oriented programming in JavaScript now because they added classes. But then, well, actually, it's kind of just like syntactical sugar. It's still just fun. It's still just prototypes under the hood. And yeah, and we've just kind of gone in cycles like that. Even with modern frameworks like you know React and Vue and Svelte and all these things, um, uh, you know. What's old is new again all the time. We we loved templates before when we had like handlebars and mustache and yeah. Dojo templating and things like that. And then we hated them and we wanted to do JSX. And now, 
you know, Svelte and Vue, and like we've got templates again for for HTML. And, <laughs> yeah, um, right. Just they they, they think, look a little different now, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, totally. And I I think it's all about for me. It's it's all about like not getting too entrenched in like the framework wars or the patterns wars or anything like that. It's just about understanding that every framework and every design pattern has its pros and has its cons and like there are trade-offs, right? And I think we just kind of like get really excited about a new framework like React and we kind of ignore its the the downsides of the trade-off. Then over time we get tired of those bad things. Yeah. And then we like reach for the new shiny thing that just like inverts the trade-offs. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like when people start getting mad at a framework, you know it's probably become stable, right? Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The like more people that hate it. Exactly. The, the, Re React's getting a lot of flack lately. And I'll admit, I am not a, a fan of React, but for very different reasons. But I think a lot of flack that React's gotten recently aren't fully deserved. But I think that just shows that it's come to be, really become more stable in its use and everything. Yeah. My, my issues with React really have more to do with the problems they're trying to solve or problems that they created, right? I and that, and, yeah. and I, it's fine. Okay, I think it's great, and server components and stuff are great, but you're just offloading the work to somewhere else. Although that offloaded yes. work now benefits everyone else that's going to access things, but it's yeah, fun. Totally it's fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's just shifting shifting those trade offs, right? Right. I, I hate to be, to say it, but I'm kind of that guy who misses class based React. Like for yeah. whatever reason, I think maybe it's because I learned like Dojo was my first like JavaScript framework my brain thinks in the context of these like lifecycle methods, like component did mount, component uh, destroyed, you know, all those kinds of things. Like I can use hooks and it's fine, but I miss, I miss like class exactly. uh, component life cycles. Yeah. There's just certain times I'm not sure if I'm using the hook correctly. I, I'm never quite sure if I'm using <laughs> use callback correctly, for example. Right. Yeah. And then there's like, you got your use effect, which you're probably using wrong anyway, but then there's use layout effect, which you probably should be using. And it's just, there's totally. a lot to it. Right. So, but yeah. like so, I said, it's all fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a lot of fun. I think, like, it's just it's just remembering to like not get so, so sort of, like, bent up about the specific framework and how it does things, but like kind of step back and and understand the various patterns and their trade offs, right? Like, yeah. Um, I've always admired uh, Adi Asmani. He's a like brilliant engineer at Google. He's been in, like you know on the internet for as long as I can remember talking about design patterns and architecture patterns and things like that. A lot of that has culminated now in um, the website patterns.dev, uh, which Addy and some others at Google um, run. And it's it's an amazing resource for anybody looking to just kind of understand like more abstract patterns in web development. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend going and checking that out. It is really good. And I actually keep it as a reference sometimes when I'm doing stuff. I'm not sure if I'm doing it correctly, right? Like I know I'm using mm -hmm. old patterns that maybe I remember using way back in the day. I'm like, no, I'm not sure if that's still something I should be doing or not. But yeah, I'm validated because it's on patterns.dev somewhere. That's right. like, okay, I feel that's right. fine with what I'm doing. I'm good there. Um, yeah, that's right. Like, yeah, I mean, JSX is one of those things that I'm really, a, I'm a fan of it mostly because of TypeScript. I can type my JSX. I can't type my template strings, which is sad, right? Yeah. I, I would be yeah. more of a fan of like lit for web components if I can yeah. type template strings, but I just can't do it. So be cool. I'm more of a stencil fan when it comes to a web component type of work. Yeah, um, I totally get that. TypeScript <laughs> helps. Like, like going back to the idea that JavaScript is like Play-Doh, like TypeScript helps with that. Sometimes I feel like 
TypeScript is just like somebody like yelling at you, telling you're doing it wrong. Like you're forming the Play-Doh wrong. It's not like, it's not really like making you do it better. It's just telling you when you're not doing it right. That's true. That's true. Every now and then I'll get stuck in this like little cycle where I'm I'm doing something, I'm using TypeScript, I'm working on an app, and I find that I'm spending a lot of time like working on my types for some reason, and I I guess I just stop. I'm like, okay, I'm do I'm doing something wrong if I need to spend this much time trying to figure out these types. So I step away from it. I'll just throw some endies in there here and there, maybe an unknown now and then and work my way through it. And luckily yeah, the totally. language servers are pretty good at giving you suggestions of what you want to do or copilot, even if you're lucky enough to be using copilot, then you'll get some suggestions, but you got to kind of like, okay, let me, let me verify that copilot's correct here. It's something I need to do, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Copilot, it's funny you bring that up just yesterday. I've been playing around with Copilot and, um, you know, you can like one of the things you can do with Copilot is, is write a comment and then let it kind of write the function for you. <laughs> I had this really funny experience where I, I wrote like a comment that was maybe, or I don't know, it's like one line comment and I hit return and let Copilot kind of take over. <laughs> and it just it started writing like a novel of comments for me. Like it never <laughs> actually got to the function. It just wrote like a hundred lines of comments, like describing in more and more detail the thing that I was trying to get it to do. It was pretty oh hilarious. man, it, it, it is weird sometimes. AI can just be a funk sometimes, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So with all the work that you do and everything, Josh, what are, how do you tackle a difficult problem, right? When, when you hit a wall, you just, you hit, you hit a wall on something and you can't quite solve it. Is there anything, anything you do other than just scream into a pillow or something like that? Well, that's usually the first thing I think. Um, I, yeah, I think my my go-to and what I, what I sort of always talk about with my team is is always be diagramming like always be drawing things out and it doesn't matter if it's on a piece of paper with a pen or on a whiteboard or in software like figma or visio or lucid chart or whatever you want yeah. to choose there like whatever's the like whatever provides the least amount of friction to get your like what's in your brain onto something visual i think you know a lot of, a lot of people will say like i'm a visual learner or i'm not a visual learner i think we're all visual learners somewhere inside of yeah. us, especially us working in like geospatial. It's in the word, right? We're spatial <laughs> thinkers. It's so like being able to draw something on paper or on a whiteboard or, or, you know, diagram it out in software, like is always the first step I take to really understand, not only so that I understand what I'm doing, which is the first thing that it helps with, but also to make sure anyone else working on it um, can at least like ask questions of that visual and then we can iterate on the visual and then come to a common understanding. Yeah. That's a, that's a great idea. And I, I find myself doing that quite a bit, just kind of like diagramming out a workflow. You know, I start at point A and I need to get to point X, right? So where am I, how am I going to get there? Where am I going to go? What is my decision tree going to look like? Or just, you know, if um, I need to have something on, on the on the page that needs to move somewhere, how am I going to get there? So, you know, just simple little diagrams like that. It doesn't have to be difficult, but at least lets you think through what you're trying to do, right? So I, I think right. that's, a, that's a great uh, idea to have people do that. <laughs> yeah, sometimes a diagram is literally like two boxes with a line between it because yeah. that's what it took drawing those two boxes with the line for <laughs> you to realize that that's like the simple, the solution is actually that simple, right? But it it took you to draw it out to actually realize that. <laughs> all right, Josh, so the all-important question, because you're working at such a furious pace all the time, do you write your test? First, last, sometimes. <laughs> uh, Next question. <laughs> No, I'm just joking. I, I yes, but I I think 
yeah, so like, like I mentioned, right, I don't work on a product team. Um, so the answer is going to be a little bit different, I think. I think that the, the time you spend on tests, any kind of tests, unit testing, uh, setting up linters, even before unit testing, or like integration testing, you know, user testing, acceptance testing, it should always be done like in the context of the thing you're building and how big it is and how long it takes, right? Like I've, <laughs> I've participated in some hackathons in the past with like test-driven developers yeah. and like they didn't have anything to show at the end of the day. They had some really cool tests, but they didn't have a <laughs> thing to show, right? They didn't actually yeah, build exactly. And like that's one end of the spectrum. And then the other end of the spectrum is just like acting like you're writing a hackathon app when you're building a big production system. Also <laughs> really bad, probably worse. And I've seen so, that before. I've seen like uh, some stuff come uh, every now and then that's like, no, um, you really got to kind of write. And it's usually write tests after. That's more where I'm a yeah. fan of, right? I, I, yeah. get, I like to get something done. And then not even like unit tests. Unit tests are useful, like you said, for products, I think. Unit tests are great. But most important, I think what you probably want for apps and even products is integration tests. Like you want to know yeah. that, you know, like a simple screenshot uh, test of like your app. You have a final product done of your app. Like, okay, great. I'm going to do some screenshot tests on this for various scenarios. And then as you update it, make changes based on request, you verify that it looks exactly the way it used to look. Like you yeah. didn't like jack up some like padding somewhere or you're not showing a header anymore. It's simple things, right? You get caught in totally. those kind of things. Yeah, I've. I, for that specific kind of like snapshot testing is I think what they what they call that. Um, I've used Storybook for that before, and there's there's actually a plugin for Storybook where you can run snapshot tests whenever you change your code. And oh, really? Literally just, I haven't tried that. Yeah, check out like the 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 DOM and do a diff of the DOM in between your two test runs. That's cool. It's actually pretty cool. Yeah, but I think that's really right. Great. I think it, I love Storybook. I'm a huge advocate of Storybook. <laughs> yeah, and it's only gotten better over the years, and it's like supports all the frameworks now, and yeah, it's really super awesome. Um, but yeah, I think like what you're saying is, is absolutely right. You got to find the kind, the, the like style of testing or the phase of testing that provides the most value to the thing you're building. And it's different based on what yeah. you're building, right? I mean, I don't want to say tests are a waste of time because they're not. The right tests aren't a waste of time, but the wrong tests, definitely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. All right, yeah. Josh, I want to be respectful of your time here. I know you got a lot to do. You got a busy day. But before I let you go, you got any tips or tricks for people listening? Doesn't even have to be geo or dev related at all. Anything you want to throw out there? Yeah, I think maybe something I always try to talk to about, like with new developers or through like a hiring process or a mentorship process or anything like that, is I I personally believe that like computer science or software engineering is a it's an applied science. Like if you just want to like learn computer science um, and nothing else, then like you should probably be an academic, right? Like you, you can go study the, the science of computer science, so to speak. <laughs> but if you want to actually take it into the real world and solve problems, like you probably need to know a little bit about something like geography or some or engineering or like whatever it may be, whatever subject matter it may be. So I, I've heard this called, there's like this concept of T-shaped learning, right? Where you've got like a lot of shallow knowledge and then you've got like one vertical of deep, deep knowledge. Um, and then I've heard an alternative, like, idea of this this thing called v-shaped learning where you actually have these like two complementary skill sets that are your sort of depth of expertise and you know that can be so many different things but but knowing not only like the subject matter and then also the sort of technical skills of being a developer and how to make things happen 
I think is like the sweet spot of being a developer because like for me, I'm, I'm a geospatial developer. You're a geospatial developer. It's a very different thing than just being a, a developer with no other skill set, right? Um, so I would I like I would encourage anyone to really make sure that as a developer you don't forget about like your other skill or your other skills. Yeah, exactly. Um, and how you want to apply that and how you actually want to change the world with your developer skills, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of my my big thing. I guess a quick a, a really easy quickie. Um, Google Meet uh, has this feature where you can do bi-directional screen sharing. Right with teams like we're, yeah. we're we use teams at Esri or zoom or lots of these other things like one person can share their screen and uh, you know if you if like if you wanted to share your screen while I'm sharing my screen I have to stop and we have to do the whole song and dance yeah. where you're going to share your screen with Google meet you can actually both share your screens at the same time and I've seen this be a game changer for pair programming or code reviews where like if I try to do that on teams. Uh, you know, it's like, well, let me show you what I mean. And then it's like a whole yeah. like, 15 second stop to like switch the screen share around or something like that. Whereas on, you know, Google Meet, I think Slack, Slack might do this as well in their huddles feature, but um, you both just have your screens up and it's just like, well, no, this is what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking That's about. That's useful. You know, just, That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're like in a virtual setting, it, it makes it feel more like you're sitting right next to the person looking at their screen and they're looking at your screen. That's awesome. I'm going to try that next time. <laughs> yeah. All right, Joshua, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, Renee. Thank you for listening to The Bounty Box today. Please subscribe for more content.